Do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. This is David Shoemaker, and I'd like to welcome you to Living Thelema. This episode is called The Magic of the Gnostic Mass, Part 2. Now, you may remember uh, some time ago I did Part 1 of this, um, also by the same title, obviously. And in that episode, the emphasis was on looking for those aspects of the Gnostic Mass that can teach us something about ritual technology, um, the way that aside from being a specific formula for a specific uh, ritual, a specific aim, the Gnostic Mass shows us a lot about how to construct a ritual, how to structure it, how to build and ride and direct the energy throughout a ritual, direct it to an appropriate aim, and, and so on. So so the last episode focused on that kind of meta view of it. But um, what we want to do this time is make it as personal as possible. In other words, to discuss the ways that you can make your preparation for and attendance of a Gnostic Mass a ritual unto itself. Um, basically, you'll be able to choose an aim, a magical aim of whatever sort you like, and then approach your whole mass-going experience as an enactment of, of that ritual to achieve that aim. Okay. is uh, entirely from my perspective. I'm not presenting uh, OTO or EGC doctrine. I'm not speaking for any particular organization here, just uh, presenting some ideas about how to approach these, these topics. So uh, keep that in mind. Um, also, uh, I'm not going to be doing a lot of quoting of the Mass here. I'm going to depend on you to have some familiarity with it, either from attendance or at least from reading the, the script of the Mass. So uh, you definitely want to have um, you know, some, a printout or have it on your screen, um, the text of the Mass itself, so that as I make reference to a particular portion of the Mass, you can clue right into what I'm talking about, and we don't have to spend a lot of time here uh, quoting at length. Now, the basic principle in operation here is that everything happening in the Mass is also happening within you simultaneously. That is, the actions of each of the Mass officers, the overall um, action of the ritual is enacting a, a particular process within you, and uh, the more you can tune into it as it's happening and the specific way it's happening, the more powerful the ritual will be for you. Um, you'll be conscious of it, and you'll have an opportunity to consciously align it with your will, uh, or at the very least, with the magical aim that you have in mind, which hopefully will be in line with your will, of course. Um, so let's start from the beginning, which is long before Mass starts, long before you get in the car to go to Mass, um, you are preparing for the Mass psychologically, right? You are planning to go, you're gearing up for the experience. Um, this is a good time to start thinking about what your magical aim will be for the Mass. You can begin this by taking a ritual bath, a cleansing bath, uh, and feel that, as you often might do uh, before any other ritual, feel that as a washing away of distractions, as a mode of relaxation, as a mode of focusing yourself. Contemplate your desired magical result. Um, try to phrase this posi positively. In other words, it's better to have something like, I will have prosperity and ease of circumstances for the performance of the great work, rather than, I will not be broke, for example. So um, phrase it positively. Um, as in any sort of self-suggestion process, anytime you 
phrase something as a negative, you imply the positive existence of the thing you're trying to avoid. So I will not be broke puts the concept of brokenness into your mind, whereas I will have prosperity, etc., um, places only that positive thought in the mind. Um, traditionally, you can then assume a magical personality for enacting the ritual. If you want to, if you have a magical ring or some other way of uh, showing yourself that you are uh, moving into a magical role as opposed to an everyday mundane personality role, um, put on the ring, do whatever your, your other um, uh, personal practices are, say something to yourself like, I am fraud or sore or so-and-so, and it is my will to and fill in the blank with whatever your magical aim is. Now, when you arrive at the temple, um, be mindful of that moment when you cross the threshold into the temple. Um, whether this is an antechamber or waiting area or the temple itself, try to be as conscious as possible of the distinction between the outside and the inside. Um, once again, you're doing this inwardly as well. You are stepping psychologically, spiritually, from a place of the mundane outer concerns to a place of more focused aspiration and more fertile spiritual ground for what's about to happen. Make a conscious decision at this moment also to leave any distractions or concerns of the outer world behind. Um, any ego-based desires or fears, things that are sort of clinging to your magical aim uh, and perhaps muddying up your vision of it, try to let go of those. And there'll be more ways to do that as the Mass proceeds as well, of course. After entering the temple, try to stay focused as much as possible on your aim and how that interweaves with the magic of the Mass and the actions of the Mass. Uh, try not to indulge in idle chatter, waiting for the Mass to begin, you know how it is when you're when you're in a trying to be in a meditative place, contemplative place, and the person next to you is talking about, you know, where to go for pizza after or whatever. It it uh, it's intrusive. So don't be that guy. Um, don't let any part of you that is not aligned with the purpose of the working be in the temple. Um, you want to have considered in choosing your magical aim, as always, if you have any um, less conscious counter impulses in terms of the desired goal. So if a part of you doesn't really want you to get the thing you're saying you want to get, you'll be less likely to succeed. If you feel guilty about getting the thing that you uh, say you want to get, you'll be less likely to succeed. If you're outer life circumstances are not conducive to you getting the thing you say you want to get, you'll be less likely to succeed. It's like my old example of trying to do a ritual to get a job, but you haven't put in any applications. So, you know, uh, do the, the mundane Malkuth level physical actions that would tend to make your life a place for the goal to manifest. Now, when the creed is recited, Make this so that it's not only a conscious affirmation of your belief, but make it a conscious alignment of yourself with the magical formula that underlie the Mass. Um, this alignment, conscious alignment, makes you um, part of the battery of force that makes the Mass work. You are part of the 
the the people assembled for the mass, and um, that's actually a ritual role. You know, that's that's a real role. It's not just I'm watching the mass, or it certainly shouldn't be. I, I certainly hope that if you're there, you're doing it with an intention to be a uh, to be alive in that moment, to be engaged. Um, the alignment with the creed also enables you to. Uh, magically speaking, to, to say I am utilizing these formula in alignment with my will to get my my goal met, my magical aim. Now, when you start to watch for the actions of the priest and priestess in particular in the Mass, which are the main offices we're going to focus on, um, here's what I suggest you do, and I touched on this a little bit in the, in the uh, first episode of this theme. Um, actions involving the priest... I suggest you can relate to your own aspiration to the divine. Actions involving the priestess can relate to your own embodiment of the divine, the divine presence within you, however you perceive it. So you have um, a subject and an object, or um, um, adept and angel, or aspirant and deity, or any of those polarities work just fine, but one is, is the is the, the motive force and the aspiration and the desire and the devotion, and the other is that which is desired, that which is adored, that which is worshipped. Now, when the virgin, who later is the priestess, enters and says, greeting of earth and heaven, be aware of the entrance of the divine presence into your consciousness as she moves and sort of uh, in the, the serpentine-like uh, movement around the altars. Um, feel that divine presence beginning to intermingle and awaken the physical temple and your physical body. Um, if you interpret this as the, uh, the Shekinah, the imminent deity that is woven into the fabric of physical, the physical world, um, the, the descent of the supernal divine feminine to infuse the physical world and awaken it to the divine presence. With the phrase, by the power of iron, uh, feel your aspiration come completely to attention. Remember, uh, uh, the iron is symbolically related to Mars, and the Mars force is the force, uh, is the, the sexual force, but also the, the force of will and of action and of fire and intensity. And uh, certainly when you have an aspiration, uh, a magical aim, you want there to be some iron behind it, right? That's why you end up using a, a Gaborian weapon like a magic sword to, uh, to enact a formal ritual along these lines. So you're fully awake, the power of iron. Say unto thee, arise. Now, when we enter the next phase, we've got the priest being purified and consecrated and then made a priest. Um, we're going to see purify, consecrate, initiate as a threefold sequence for both the priest and the priestess. Um, in the first part of this, I talked about that mostly in terms of ritual tech generally, but now I'm going to try to bring it home to what's ha what you can do inside as, as these uh, sequences are, are enacted. So for the priest purification, be the priest pure of body and soul. Um, you're washing away alien elements, um, that's what purification is, right? Crowley says in, in Libra 150 that um, basically the definition of a pure thing is that no alien element has intruded. 
upon it. So it's pure you. Your your will, your aim, your your aspiration is purely that and is not does not have those accretions of distracting other things on it anymore. Wash away those irrelevant influences. Wash away finally any distracting elements from the mundane world that remain. Now um, be the priest fervent of body and soul, the consecration. Uh, now that your being and your aim is purified, it is aligned with the spirit fire. It's um, made sacred. You know, consecrate to consecrate something is to make it sacred, and uh, you don't want to make something sacred until it's been purified and is ready to go, right? So that's the second part of this sequence here. Um, when the priest gets the robe, feel yourself glowing with solar force. Um, when the priest gets the crown, feel your that that solar serpent fire um, extending up to your head, to for example to the the crown chakra um, above your head, and feel yourself as an open channel of that force. Then. As a climax of this, with the lance stroking, breathe mindfully from the diaphragm. Feel your entire being open up as the channel for divine force flowing from the highest sources through you and out to all the universe. Now, this is a general principle of effective magic, that when you can identify as the right kind of channel for the force you're trying to bring through, you're much more likely to succeed. When people tend to get tripped up is when they feel like they are the source of the energy. You're just being a channel because there's way more energy out there um, accessible to you as a channel of force than you will generally have access to if you just feel like you're the only source of it. So that's why you open up to the, the highest sources and let that flow through you. Also recognize that in doing this, in enacting a ritual aim, utilizing universal forces, and making sure that that aim is in line with your true will, um, you are you are serving humanity. This is a service to the universe to uh, to be enacting true will because all true will is by definition in line with universal will. Your personal individual expression of universal will flows out through your personal true will. And um, whatever aim you've chosen, if you've done it conscientiously here, should therefore be of service not just to you, but to everyone. Thee, therefore, whom we adore, we also invoke. We discussed this last time, but making it personal. Um, when you adore something inwardly, you call forth that thing to be more present within you. So um, whatever your magical aim is for this ritual experience, um, find a way to adore that, which in the context of the Mass is likely to be connected to the priestess. So see the priestess as an emblem of that aim, of that desired result, and fall in love with it. Um, devote yourself to that aim. Adore it and you will thereby invoke it. Then the priest leads the priestess to the altar, which 
we can take as an elevation of our conception of the divine to the place of worship. Um, this is Malkuth being led to the throne of Binah by the intervention of the priest, who himself would not be able to do it without the intervention of the priestess originally. Okay, now uh, the priestess gets to the, the high altar and the shrine and uh, goes through a similar and parallel uh, purification, consecration, and priestess-making uh, ceremony. Um, you apply the same purification and consecration concepts, but to the divine itself. That is, um, if the priestess is symbolizing our conception of the divine, we want to make sure that that conception is pure, that what we're holding in mind as the divine and and what we're holding to be worthy of worship doesn't have alien elements intruding upon it. So that's the purification of the priestess. Um, in, in talking about this in terms of uh, sex magic and mysticism on earlier podcasts and in my book, um, I've looked at this as um, one way of washing away old aeonic conceptions about sexuality and about love and, and deity so that it's not about um, mindless self-sacrifice. It's not about repressing the body or sexuality um, or anything connected with the physical. Um, ideas like that may be the kinds of things that have stuck on to conceptions of the divine that you need to wash away. Um, now the consecration is aligning this conception of the divine with the spirit fire um, to make that sacred, that pure idea of the divine. Now when the veil is closed and the priest circumambulates, uh, feel this as um, a feeding of your conception of the divine with the power of silent and secret adoration. You've closed up that most sacred thing behind a veil of secrecy and silence. And whatever is happening back there is happening in its own womb-like space, you know, and, and what you can do is identify with the priest's actions as a way of raising force, as a way of um, boosting the energy in, uh, in the middle of that space of silence. Now, when the priest makes his first speech on the first step, uh, make this a conscious statement of your conception of the divine. When the priest makes the second speech, uh, make this a conscious statement of your hadith, the hadith aspect of yourself, which is always experiencing the divine. Um, the recitation of the calendar uh, is a conscious alignment of yourself with the Thelemic current and its right celebration. The priest's third speech, third and final speech at the, th the top of the third step there, is, um, is describing the ecstasy available to you in the union of these two prior concepts, the union of the divine and the aspiration to the divine. And that's a pretty straightforward interpretation of what the Mass itself is about, right? The enactment of this union of opposites, or union of two, whether you think of them as opposites or not. Um, so at the third speech, you've got this 
you can, you can identify with this as a face-to-face encounter with the divine under will, the full invocation of the solar phallic principle at the root of the mass. Uh, then there is no law beyond do what thou wilt, and the veil is opened. Now, the recitation of the collects by the deacon, um, you have another opportunity to align your aspiration, your, your goal, your magic, uh, magical aim, with the core principles that inform our magic. Indeed, it's, it's in many ways a statement of the entire Thelemic worldview about uh, what, what is the nature of reality, what are the nature of the, the four elements and the seven principles and, and so on. Um, and uh, you've got the saints as well as examples of um, those who have attained true will, have enacted true will in one way or another. And uh, you can feel that as a bit of a pep talk to yourself in terms of enacting whatever your ritual aim is. And remember, you're holding the ritual aim in mind throughout this as much as possible alongside uh, connecting with the actions of the ritual. Now, with the consecration of the elements, the host and the wine, um, you can redefine and particularize um, these spiritual polarities that we've been talking about um, as the host and wine. So you, your aspiration to the divine, the divine itself, you can narrow the beam a bit on, on where, your, where your focus is for those polarities all the way down to the host and the wine. The more power you put into your own identification with these elements um, and with the corresponding lance and cup, the more powerful your results. So the more juice you got going, um, behind the idea that this lance is your will and that cup is your goal, to, to put it simply, um, the, the better off you're going to be in terms of your magical aim. At the um, covenant of resurrection portion of the Mass and the offering of the elements to own, um, offer these components of yourself to the highest conception of divinity that you can hold. Um, after all that's happened so far, you get to this one point of climax and you really want to be uh, as conscious as possible of, of offering these aspects of self to the divine. When uh, the priest is starting the anthem, um, the, the priest portion of the anthem is a very effective um, invocation of the holy guardian angel or whatever, however you might personally choose to term uh, the divine uh, within and without. Um, and so as the priest is uh, reciting that, feel that as a power up for yourself, as a, um, a further uh, ratcheting up of the force available to you to flow through you toward your magical aim. Then when the antiphony of, uh, between the men and the women present uh, continues in the anthem, you can feel this as uh, um, like bouncing back and forth between the the polarities here and energizing both of them to a fever pitch. You know, so like both both sides of the of uh, the equation of the the worshiper and that which is worshipped are getting more and more intensely ready to slam together in union, which of course is going to be symbolized in the the climax of the mass with the lance going into the cup. So this building and building, building up to a fever pitch, continues um, through the 
climax at the mystic marriage. Be absolutely as mindful as possible of your ritual aim as the lance enters the cup and hold this state of mindfulness as completely as you can until you actually consume the cake of light and the wine. When you do consume the cake of light and the wine, feel with certainty that it has been charged with your ritual aim, not just some generic um, you know, principle that, that is aligned with, with the, uh, the EGC or the OTO or the particular priest and priestess or anything like that, but it's yours. You know, this is your ritual, your experience, and your Eucharist. But once again, this is, since it is universal will that empowers our ceremonies, um, and since your ritual aim has been chosen conscientiously to be aligned with your true will and therefore universal will, you are also performing a service by consuming this Eucharist. Uh, you are um, a servant of humanity by uh, consuming this and enacting your, your aim. Now, at the closing of the veil, you can seal up the divine within you with, uh, once again with love and silence and secrecy. Let this be a final affirmation of the utter holiness of this most dear and divine aspect of your spiritual self. Whatever conceptions you have been able to wrap around the priestess and what she represents, um, seal these up again in your heart consciously knowing that they are um, in a sanctified space there. Now at the priest's benediction, at the very end, um, you know, the priest has partaken of the Eucharist himself. All the people have done so also. You've done so as a participant. And um, you should feel these th this threefold benediction as a final sealing on your ritual aim like the priest who is standing in for your own aspiration to the divine and your own enactment of, of, of a ritual aim is turning to you with the authority of the divine and saying, your ritual worked. You're going to get what you wanted out of this. Your aim has been sanctified. Your um, prayers have been <laughs> heard by the gods, however you want to think of it. Um, but... Let that be a moment um, where inwardly you have a final sense of certainty and closure that your ritual aim is, is complete. So um, I hope that uh, these thoughts will be useful for you in, in future experiences. Uh, hopefully you do attend Mass uh, regularly and um, can, can make these suggestions something that enriches your experience and, and makes it possible to... Uh, to, who knows, bring more of yourself to the process, to enact more uh, specific aims that feel important to you, and to learn about doing magic in the process. So uh, that's our segment for this month, and I, I do very much appreciate you listening in. Um, if you'd like to learn more about uh, me and my work, you can always visit livingthelema.com, um, the uh, Living Thelema book is continually available via Amazon and also on Kindle and as uh, an iBook. And um, as always, if you have any suggestions for future episodes or have any comments or questions for me, 
david at livingthelima.com is your contact email. So thanks very much for your time and attention. Love is the law, love under will.